listening back on this interview that we are sharing today, which was recorded in February with the super talented, super amazing Rivka Reyes. And it's just so insane how much things have changed in the world. You know, we were just hanging out like normal and we were in our recording studio and gosh, now I've, what a, I haven't changed my pants in like a month. I haven't worn a bra in like a month. Both those things were probably true back then too, but I didn't have to wear a mask. Anyway, please enjoy Rivka Reyes. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for coming to tell me about your deepest, darkest moments in your life at 10 in the morning. You know, I feel like, you know, it's a Thursday. It's the best time to kind of just like get all of that stuff out there. And um, I no longer can afford therapy. So here we go. You know what? I'm in therapy. I just came from therapy. (gasps) How was it? Amazing. Do you like your there? Love. And um, you can just tell me your stuff and then I'll go in and I'll say that it's mine. And then he'll relay and I'll get the information. Yeah. I was um, recently working with a therapist who was um, actually three years younger than me. And I had to like really accept that. Um, but she was really great. And, you know, that's what happens when you don't have health insurance. You you get a grad school student as your therapist. And it's, it's, it's pretty great. Was it hard? No, it was actually great because she, you know, was closer to my age. And previously I'd had, I actually had a therapist who went to my same high school. So she like fully knew who I was. And that was um, bad. I feel like that shouldn't be allowed. She like knew of me. She didn't know me, but she knew of me was like the gist. She was like, oh yeah, no, yeah, you went to Ignatius. And I was just like, yeah. She's like, yeah, my little sister. And and I was just like, should you be therapizing me or? (laughs) But I stayed with her for a year and it was like, it was was okay. I like go back and forth on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You sent me an email saying that you committed fraud on a Tinder date, and I just I would love to hear about that. Okay, so college was a fun time. Um, the year, let me paint the pitch. Um, the year was 2014, and I was in Chicago, and um, I had just gotten out of like a situationship with a person who I um, was friends with and we were in the same like improv class and I was just like in love with him and he um fully just you know we we'd fooled around a couple times and he just didn't want anything to do with me um after so there was a night where like we were both doing the same improv show and um he like left and I like thought it would be like a good idea to like chase after him like in like a rom-com kind of way and I like you know did like run after him to the train and I like was like wait and he turned around and I like tried to kiss him he was like no no don't uh ever kiss my face in public (laughs) and I was just like okay um so I'm heartbroken and I uh downloaded tinder for the first and last time and um started swiping away and it was nice I was like it was kind of like shopping for people which I kind of like enjoyed but um I matched with somebody and we had set up plans to like meet up for drinks and um so when I got there he was like already pretty blacked out and um 
And this is immediately after. This is like a couple days after like the like official like, no, I don't like you anymore. Like, don't kiss me in public thing. Um, And what was going through your mind as you rom-commed him? um, I was like, I'm pretty sure he's going to like, he's going to fall for me if I, you know, big gestures are kind of my thing. I'm a Leo and we love the big romantic gestures. um, But then he was a Capricorn and they don't like that shit at all. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also like, I, I suffer from like delusion. Like I, in the past, like I've, I've definitely been one to like, just like not see red flags because I, you know, am addicted to like these like whirlwind, like romances with people that I'm like either like working with or, or like in improv class with or whatever. And I, um, that was just like a lot of my like early 20s was that kind of like thing. I feel I, like improv classes are just like cesspools. Yeah. Yeah. And you truly do feel like you're on like a reality show with like all these people for, you know, however. I mean, this was like an improv conservatory. So we were in the same class for like a year and I had to like see him like every Saturday for a year after like, you know, all of that went down. So it was um, it was rough. But um you know, my, my thought process behind like being like Tinder, uh, let's like go find somebody else was like that whole toxic thinking of like the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else, which I actually like truly don't believe in anymore. I think the best way to get over someone is to like, um, spend like at least three months like with yourself and like be, um, your own partner. (laughs) Um, I know that like, uh, Emma Watson started coining this like new phrase of like being self-partnered, which we love. And like somehow that's queer to me. Somehow that reads as like being like fully queer. And I love that for her. Um, so yeah, but my coping mechanism then was like, let's go meet this stranger at a bar. And, um, he was already pretty hammered whenever I got there. And so instead of seeing that as a red flag, I'm like, okay, let me catch up to him. And I just have like some fun and I got blackout drunk and decided to like go home with this guy and we got to his home and um, it was what can only be described as like a hovel. Like it was a, it was like straight up just like trash on the ground. He was like rolling, um, rolling cigarettes in his living room. There were just beer cans everywhere, just like classic. Like, and he was like, yeah, I live in a DIY, like, um, community art space. And I was just like, that's hot. (laughs) Um, and he was like, also one of those, like in Chicago, it's like actually like a, like part of culture that like everyone like knows Chance the Rapper by like six degrees of separation. And I think he was like Chance the Rapper's like trombone player's roommate's ex's friend or something like that kind of moment. And I was just like, that's so cool. And um, I'm like, all right, I need to I need to like get. Can you describe this guy? (laughs) Can I describe him? Yeah, he was hot. He was like um, he was mixed and like he. rode a little scooter moped thingy. Um, we didn't ride that back to his place that night. We took a lift because we were being responsible. Uh, but yeah, he, he was like, I, I think a music journalist. Um, I'm not going to say his name, even though I really want to. Um, yeah, he, he's just like 
classic like hipster, you know, artist boy. Um, definitely came from money, but like if you come from money, like why do you live in a full like hovel? Anyway, because um, you're a man, baby. Yeah, yeah, definite man, baby. Um, and I honestly don't remember much else. Um, so I go to the bathroom. I'm like, I'm gonna go freshen up, and like, you know, I'll see, I'll see you out here. And um, that's me being sexy. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> get fresh. Um, I go in the bathroom and I like look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, you are going to do sex to a stranger and it's going to be, oh, you're going to forget about the improv guy. You're, you're going to get over him and it's going to be great. I like splashed a little water on my face and then I went out and he was like passed out on his bed and he was in fact naked with in fact a condom on his wiener, like ready to go. And we hadn't even like kissed yet, nothing. So I was just like, yeah, I'm not staying here tonight. Um, so instead of doing the like logical thing and like taking the train home, like I just was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I, I don't deserve this. Like he, he thought, he thought he was so sure that th we were gonna hook up and like fuck this guy. So I, um, I grabbed his wallet like a normal person does. And I grabbed his credit card uh, like a normal person does and put his information <laughs> into my phone for Uber. I even went so far as to like looking on his ID what his zip code was because they require that you <laughs> put the zip code in. This is why I don't drink anymore. Like I, I just batch it insane. Yeah. So I, I got a, an, I lived in a very far neighborhood from where he lived. So I took an, like a Uber SUV, like the like fancy one. And it was like an $80 like Uber from his place to mine. And um, the next day I like tried to go somewhere else and the um, app like was not working. And I was just like, what's wrong? And they like sent me an email. I was like, your account has been flagged for fraud. And then I called them and I was like, Hey, um, I got really drunk last night and I like let this guy put his credit card into my account. Well, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Is there a way that you can like fix that? And they like took care of the charge and like didn't I don't think he found out if he did. Like, I'm very sorry. Um, a part of my recovery is to make amends to those that I've harmed. And <laughs> I, I'm sorry to um anonymous Tinder boy uh <laughs> for stealing your credit card. Um, but also like you shouldn't have assumed that I was gonna um, do sex to you because, you know, I might have not. <laughs> Did he put a condom on a limp dick or was it hard and he I mean, asleep? I think it was the latter. I think he like probably got it going and then like put it on and was like ready and then just like passed out. I mean, what a mensch. We love it. <laughs> She's flabbergasted. No, I'm trying to find a, <laughs> the right question. I'm obsessed with this story. Oh, God. It is like one of the, I think it's probably the most petty thing I've ever done, like to another person. Like, and, and honestly, like if Uber sees this and like wants to take my account away, I'm like, fair. I fully understand. Was that the first time you've been in like a fancy Uber? Yeah. I like felt like I earned it. I felt like I deserved it. Even though I fully didn't because I was a piece of shit for stealing this guy's credit card. <laughs> um, but it was nice. It was nice. And I, you know, the next because I was like, I have class the next day. I had to go to like um, 
this like viewpoints class the next day for theater school. And it was like, you're dying over here. Did you take viewpoints? Of course we did. Viewpoints is basically for those who don't know viewpoints is like industry for like wiggling around on the ground, like, um, little, yeah. So you're like walking. Yeah. It's like making shapes. And then like you eventually end up like wriggling around on the ground, like night crawlers. It's, it's very fun. And it's supposed to teach you, um, like movement for the stage and like all of the like elements of a play. I, I just was like, I can't stay here. I cannot stay here. I like must leave. I, I, I just cannot be here. And like, I want to mention that first before I went for his credit card, I did like try to open his phone and get an Uber from his phone, but his thing was locked and, um, like it was before face recognition. So, so I wasn't able to like do, <laughs> hold up the phone to his face like a psycho. Um, so I, I, you know, desperate times called for desperate measures. You said this good. was one of the le- one of the reasons you stopped drinking. Was yeah. this the last time? No. So this this story is one of the like ones that I tell when like people are like, I didn't even realize you were like that much of a drinker. And I'm like, it's not that I was that much of a drinker. It was just like the ways that my brain worked when I drank, like, and the reasons for which I would drink. When it gets to a point where you feel as though you need it to survive and you feel like you're not funny without it or you're not like confident without it, like that's when it's like you might consider that you have a problem with it. And um, I come from a long line of like addictive personalities, like my whole family, you know, whether it's with drinking, drugs, shopping, food, uh, lack of food. So I kind of just knew in the back of my head that there was this like history of it and that I probably did. But like the first time I drank, I blacked out. So like that was like when I was like 15 and I was at this like party in high school and I just thought that that's what happened. And I thought that that was normal for everybody. So for a long time, I would just like same old shit, black out or like wake up places that I was just like, how did I get here? I don't know, but I don't like it. (laughs) Like, you know. And, and yeah, so I, I haven't had a, I haven't had a drink in over two years. Um, and it took me hitting a a pretty deep bottom, uh, with like alcohol and like cocaine, like to realize truly that I had a problem with it. And I was just like, oh shit, like I haven't done stand up uh, without being high or drunk in like three years. And that's fully not okay. And I like need to get back to like, who am I without this? And so it's been an interesting process, but yeah, it's, it's nice. And, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. I love being sober. Um, I am a lot happier. I'm able to see red flags and instead of like seeing them and being like, that's a red flag, but like, give me, (laughs) um, I'm able to say that's a red flag and I'm going to walk away. When it comes to like relationships, friends, business stuff, like family stuff, it's it's just made my life just so much better. Was there a specific moment that where you had clarity that there was an issue? Did anybody intervene? No, there was no intervention. Although like I, I think because I'm a Leo and I'm addicted to drama, like I wanted there to be an intervention so badly. I was like, was watching the show Intervention being like, why do they have like nicer apartments than me? Um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, no, I, I didn't have an intervention. I just, 
kind of like, yeah, there was just a night where I did a bunch of Coke and I drank a bunch of vodka. And the next day I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I kind of just like, I do remember waking up saying that out loud and being like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, help. And like, that was kind of that like moment of clarity. It was like, I felt psycho, like being like, you know, so hungover and like just useless, you know, after a bender. And, and I was also in a really toxic relationship at that time with a person who like was also an addict and had like several partners that he was lying to and lying about and like hiding from each other and from me. And like, I stayed in that thing because I was so terrified of being alone. And like, I was just like, this isn't healthy. And then I watched this show called Love on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. So like Gillian Jacobs character goes to like um, 12 step meetings. And I like learned about this 12 step program for people who suffer from sex and love addiction. And I was just like, uh, that sounds like me. That sounds a little bit like what I go through. And then I like did some research on it and there were meetings that I could go to like in where I, in the area that I lived. And so I started going and, um, I've been going to those for two years now and I've just like now kind of like done a full refurbishing of my life in a way where I'm like I have just like boundaries in place. I'm like able to turn down offers, which like was a thing that I wasn't able to do when I was drinking and using because I was like just addicted to attention and any kind of like validation, whether it was like bad or not, like. I used to kind of like feel kind of a hit from like posting something provocative and then having people like comment like you're so hot. And like now that kind of like is like like for me personally, I'm just like, I don't need that. Usually it comes down to like what I actually needed in that moment was like connection with a person. And like whether that's through like a conversation or like if it's a hug, but it's usually for me like I can't. I can't really use like sex as a solution anymore or like a band-aid. Um, it's more just like a nice thing to do for me uh, with like, you know, a partner and it's like a healthy, like, you know, normal like relationship thing. It's not like something that one person like uses to manipulate the other. It's just like, it just is. We sound, this sounds so similar to some of my story. Um, Tell me. Which I've actually never really shared. Um, I thought I was, I thought I may be a sex addict, sex and love act as well because I saw love. And I went into therapy and I talked to my therapist about it. And he was kind of like, no, that's not you. But I was very adamant, like, no, I, I also, I went online. I looked at the checklist. I checked a lot of those boxes. Yeah. And for me, it was, uh, I was in this cycle where I would um, date a person and then not even date. No, fuck that. That's not what it was. I would yes, like come on radical honesty. <laughs> I would tell myself that it was dating, but it wasn't. It was sex. And I needed the sex for validation and for connection. Mm -hmm. And I knew I could get someone's attention for an hour, half an hour. And I knew I could feel... I, I, on top of it, it was 
you know, there's so many layers to it. But yes, it was sex positive. Yes, it was me being, Mm -hmm. getting pleasure. But I don't think, I think that was my excuse. Like, because none of that sex was fulfilling. And I was, you know, with dating a coworker for dating. I thought it was dating. It was, we were, you know, I was sucking his dick in back alleys after work. Yeah. And begging him to be my boyfriend. Yeah. That's not dating. Yeah. And it's so interesting once you like realize that, you know, what I had with that improviser guy, the guy from my improv class wasn't dating. That was me and him hooked up while we were on coke a couple times. And I wanted him to be my boyfriend so badly that I obsessed over him that it felt like I was being stabbed, impaled in the gut every time I saw him with another girl because he would bring these girls around to our shows and I would see it as he was cheating on me. But that's like, it wasn't real. That was all like a full fantasy. Like we we were never dating. We had, like he had actually explicitly told me several times, like, I can't, I don't want to be with you. I can't be with you. In my mind, I heard that as like, he's so in love with me, but he's tortured and he can't. And like, whether or not that's true, like he might've, you know, he might've cared about me in some sort of way like that. But like, I I was just so wrapped up in the fantasy and the like, um, kind of like the power I felt, you know, from him or from, you know, me or whatever, uh, that I wasn't able to see reality. And that's how it was with several of my relationships with the guy that I was, you know, the person that I was with when I got sober, um, who was a like raging narcissist abuser. Like he had all these women that he was, you know, dicking around. And like, I still was like, but I'm the favorite. So I should stay like that. That's just the psychotic thinking that I had. And like that addiction is so tricky because with drinking and drugs, you just don't do it. With cigarettes, you just don't smoke a cigarette. And with gambling, you don't gamble. And when with the, like food addiction or like it, it, disordered eating, it's like you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're not hungry anymore. But with this, it's so difficult because it's like your drug is um, people or like attention or like getting validation or whatever. And so like for me, it took like, I mean, it still is really hard. Like I, I, I still have like, very strict rules that I give myself that sometimes feel terrible. And I sometimes wake up and I'm like, damn, like this sucks. I I do sometimes like mourn the person that I was before I had my like white light moment. Still, I'm like, okay, but if I like play the videotape of like what happens if I like read, download Tinder or hit up that guy from my improv class, who's now engaged, like, and the only reason I know that is because I'm a psycho and I stalked his Instagram, you know? Like, if I don't look at people's Instagram of people that I've, like, dated or hooked up with before, if I just continue to work on my own stuff and, like, stick to those boundaries and stick to those, you know, go to those meetings and go to therapy and, like, talk about this stuff with people who can relate and be faithful and be um, honest and vulnerable with my current partner. That's like the most, I think, sex positive thing that I could do for myself. Um, And there's like a common misconception that like people who are like um, sex and love addicts in recovery, like are not sex positive, but that's not true. Like there's, there's a balance. Like it's just about balance. You can be 
sex positive and be a recovering um, sex and love addict, like at the same time, those are not like mutually exclusive. I think the moment for me is I, one of the moments for me was I realized that what I was doing wasn't actually sex positive, was that I was like not present in my body. Sex for me, pretty much until my current partner, was about being really needy and needing love and connection and knowing I could get it this way. And again, this is all unconscious, you know, in therapy, you, you learn this. No, it's not sex positive if I am terrified of losing this person so I'm not really engaging them in sex Mm. if I'm just doing what they want because Mm -hmm. I feel such a need to please them to keep them yeah and like that's not sex positive at all and my current partner is the only person I think that I've ever been with that is actually we've had open communication about what do you like what do you want same and it really hurts me to think that I went so long in these sexual relationships that were not fulfilling yeah yeah and like I mean when when I don't know I I would like dissociate like during sex like and I would just like come to and be like I just did that and I didn't want to and it's not like it was it, it, it in cases where I like was having sex and then realized I was like oh wait I didn't want that I just wanted a hug or I just wanted to like take a nap with you or like um go see a movie or something like I didn't want all of that like but I just like I think I trained myself to think that that's like where it always would lead and had to lead um for me to stay interesting to somebody same um but it's I mean that's crazy like and and part of that I think is because like when I was a kid I was in a film and like the um like my mom would like always read the like message boards to me which is like don't do that. Like, if you're a parent of a child actor, don't read the comments to them. That's just, like, insane. That will feed some um, mad anxiety. Yeah, like, she she would, like, read every comment, mostly the bad ones, but, like, bad or good, she would, she would like, read. Because, like, back then, it was, like, in 2003, like, IMDb had little message boards where you could, like, write about the people. <laughs> and, like, Zango was a thing, and people were, like, writing about me on those, like, forms of um, social media. And she would like, yeah, it was awful. And she would read things to me that were like pretty triggering for a 10 year old to hear like a man being like, I can't wait till she's 18. She's so hot. She's like, children aren't hot. They're children. And so like being sexualized at such a young age. And like, I even remember there was a man that like came to my school um, in Chicago and like was trying to take pictures of me and the teachers couldn't do any, the teachers wouldn't do anything about it. The principal was like, well, you know, that's what happens when, you know, you put yourself out there like that. Thank God my parents were smart enough to pull me out of that school specifically, but it's just being put into the, like being in the film industry from being, from literally childhood and being exposed is just so vulnerable. And I just always thought that like, all right, I'm an object. So, you know, it is my duty to stay hot. It is my duty to be, um, how do you not think your worth is based on sex appeal? Yeah, exactly. And to have those thoughts as a kid is terrifying. Like, it's just, I mean, I remember seeing um, when I was like 13 or 14, like there was this like fake, like um, 
it was like a fake porn site. It was like, it said my name and it was like nude pics. And I was like 14 and I was just like, that doesn't exist. And I like was too scared to like look at it. It probably was like one of those sites where people just like um, Photoshop like the faces of people onto like porn stars. But like, it's just like seeing that at that age just terrified me. But then also I was like, my mom also like taught me that sex was scary and only something that married people should do for making children. And then at the same, and then she used like scare tactics of like, you know, you can get STDs, you can get chlamydia, like you're, you can get AIDS and die if you have sex or you can get pregnant and you don't want to be pregnant and like use that to scare me. But then like when I went to high school and all my friends were like doing it and telling me like, well, if you do this, this and this, you won't get any of those things and that it'll be fine. And then I was just like, and then it became such a, like a right of like womanhood to like lose your virginity, which is so interesting um, that I just became obsessed with it. And I was just like, who's going to be the one? I would like walk through the cafeteria and look at all the boys like it was a fucking meat market and be like, which is, uh, which one of these is going to take my virginity at this Jesuit Catholic high school where I do not fit in at all. And the guy that I ended up making my sexual debut with like was I heard on Amanda Steele's podcast, somebody they were talking about virginity. And instead of saying losing my virginity, they started saying making my sexual debut. So I love, I that. love that so much because it's like it kind of, um, kind of nobody empowering. it is empowering. And it's like you don't lose anything. You're not giving something away, but you're like making like a an entrance. And like, um, yeah, the other I think the joke was that it implies that there's a musical number. <laughs> I love that. Um, so the guy that I made my sexual debut with was, um, you know, a junior. I didn't like him. I like definitely just was like doing it to get it out of the way. And I knew that since he he was a junior and I was a freshman that like I could get him to do it with me because of that like whole like weird like thing of like she's a freshman. I'm a junior. <laughs> like that. And it's so weird to think of it now. Anyway, he voted for Trump. Bye. Um, <laughs> Bye. We wish him well or not. I actually don't. Um, but yeah, and then he cheated on me at summer camp. Anyway, like I, I just always thought it was like a power move to like, I was just like, I have this thing in my hand or like, you know, and it's like, I could like snap it off if I want. And it's just, it's, it's so, it's, this is like getting to be a bit much like, just, but like, and now it's like so sacred to me in a way that's not, and it's not like a, you know, religious thing for me. Uh, it never has been, I've never been religious, but I've always been spiritual. Um, and now like being, vulnerable and present and honest with somebody um that is like sacred and and that is like beautiful and amazing for me like even with people who are like like-minded who have gone through similar stuff or like women in the program like when we're able to sit across from each other and I say like I stole a guy's fucking credit card and put it in my Uber account to get an Uber home because I had my heart broken by this improv guy and then like went on a Tinder date and he was like too drunk to, you know, hook up. So I like took his card and have somebody sit across from me and be like, I have a similar story. It's not the same story, but I have a similar story where I, and then they go into theirs and I'm like, this is just magic. This is better than any like random, like one night hookup for me. I feel like sex has been for me just 
when you have that actual honesty and emotional whatever, it's more fulfilling. I mean, obviously, but yeah. like, you know, so many times I had uh, just a just feeling lonely, just feeling vulnerable. Mm -hmm. There's a guy that's like kind of attractive. Mm. That but, like classic, like I just need to nut culture. Like it's, it's toxic for some people. I would be willing to say it's just toxic in general. Like the like, I just need to get off. I need to put my thing in somebody else's thing or I just need to just get out all of this like frustration, aggression, tension, sadness, loneliness out on another person like that's that's a little that's toxic it's just not using it, it is like a way of using somebody else as a solution where usually what you really wanted was like a nice meal cooked by some by your mom or like a nice hug from someone you love or like a phone call with your favorite auntie like <laughs> connection it's just connection um you don't always need to not <laughs> I need that on a sticker you don't always need to not yeah. <laughs> I have a memory of title of episode. Oh, that, you don't that always down. need to nut. Write that down, Alex. <laughs> yeah. I have this memory of being in college and I was in a sorority and we had some dance and there was a guy there that I had been flirting with and I really like, he didn't come with me. He went with somebody else. I just brought a friend and I wanted to like hook up with him and I kept dancing with him and he kept like kind of pushing me away. <laughs> And I just kept going for it. And finally he was like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. And instinctively was like, well, so-and-so was here and I fucked him before. So I'm going to fuck him tonight. And then I like start looking for him and then he's making out with someone else. And then I'm like, well now, like just the rejection was, I couldn't just be sad. I had to like stuff it down and be like, well, someone will I, someone will give me Get what this out I of me. Yeah. yeah. So then I like called somebody else and thankfully, not thankfully, but like he was busy that night mm -hmm. and he didn't come over and I just had to be by myself, <laughs> which was like what I needed, but was so painful. And the thing yeah. I was trying to stop from happening. Yeah. Um, the withdrawal process is so hard too. And, and um, SLAA is like, it's, it's literally like 30 to 90 days of just nothing. Like you can't like, there, there's a list of things you don't do. And like, you know, for some people, it's like just pretty much like no dating, no flirting, no d dating apps, no masturbation. Like for me, it was like as simple as like no lying, no fishing for compliments, no posting, you know, uh, pr provocative content for like shock value. No, you know, I couldn't even tell half of my jokes because all my set was all about how like wacky and crazy I was in bed. And like, I don't do those jokes anymore because they don't reflect who I am now. But like it, it just it, it helped so much to like get through that. And like now I'm in a new cycle of like withdrawal because I'm in this relationship and I'm, I've moved in with my partner. And while, you know, both of us are emotionally available, we do want to be in this relationship. It is, you know, by all means, a healthy relationship. There just have to be boundaries because it can't get to a place of codependency where like he's the only good thing in my life. Like we, we don't want to like let it get to that. So like, you know, there, there are just things I have to do to keep myself, um, sober in that, like emotionally sober and, you know, be the best and most present partner to my partner that I can be. Um, but yeah, like it's just so, it's so interesting. The things that 
we do when all we want is connection and like all we want is to like not feel alone. Like being alone in my house now is like the best thing. Like I just love it. Like when my partner like goes off to do whatever he does, like, you know, go to work or go hang out with his friends. And then I have the place to myself. I'm like, ooh, I'm gonna clean. I'm gonna watch Drag Race. I'm gonna like do all of these things for myself with myself because I like am in a place of liking myself enough to spend time with myself and be like alone with myself. And yeah, I like wouldn't change that for the world. It's hard, but I do like it. I, I, I feel a lot lighter and like I feel it just feels nice to be able to be honest and not hide these things from people and not sit in that thing of like, I'm the most insane person in the world. Nobody has this experience. Nobody is as fucked up as I am. And then like walking to a room of people who have the same experience, it makes me feel so like unspecial in the best way. Like, it's just like, you're not that special. You're not the only person that has that experience. There are actually like hundreds of people who have that. And I'm lucky enough to have like found like kind of a group of people who are working on that part of their life, you know? And I think it takes a lot to actually break the cycle and to recognize that something, you can have a different relationship to yourself and to sex and to alcohol and because all of them vices. Yeah. I think there's tons of people like this, even more so that wouldn't identify themselves as this. They just aren't educated on it or they're just afraid of it afraid and can't see it in themselves and may even get defensive if somebody were to point it out Mm -hmm. and that's all okay but yeah if somebody I mean I'm saying if if somebody had pointed it out to me I would be like no I can say same thing of like I can stop when I want to but cigarettes for me it took forever to quit smoking cigarettes and I was like I can stop smoking when I want to it's like oh no I'm actually super powerless over this thing And like, if somebody had told me, hey, like you have some really bad patterns with the way that you date or the way that you like are with people, like I would be like, no, I don't. I'm normal. You're the fucked up one. But then it took me seeing it in somebody else. Like my, my ex who I like was with when I got sober, when I saw that he had these qualities of the character on love and that I thought I might have and that he was like, experiencing kind of like a bottom too, I was just like, oh shit. Not only do you need help, but I fucking need help too. And like being able to say that was like the, I think it was like probably the first time I was honest. It was the the first time I went to a um, 12 step meeting was the first time I listened um, and heard. Um, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's truly magic like that it happened. Because I like, it, it doesn't seem like it's as serious of a um, disease as like alcoholism or drug addiction. But for me, it's like life and death because there have been times where like I've been so pining over a person that I like would die for them. Like, and it, it so that, yeah, it is a life or death disease like like alcoholism is. Yeah, but it is, there, there are solutions that don't involve uh, stealing credit cards. <laughs> Or just like getting your net on. 
Um, I can't believe I've said that phrase so many times today. And I'm like, actually like kind of mad at myself about it. <laughs> I love it. Embrace it. <laughs> yes. If there's anything you could say to that version of you who was, if there's anything you could say to that version of you, what would you say? Um, this is going to sound so cheesy, but like, I forgive you. Like I, uh, that's, <laughs> I forgive you. Uh, and also like, it's not the end of the world. Like nothing is the end of the world. And there's a life just so much better and bigger coming your way. Um, but also like, I can't change the past. So I, 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 I definitely like wish I could, like, there are some things I really wish I could take back since that's just not possible. Like just be present and you're not actually alone. Like, and also being alone is sometimes great. <laughs> so much to the very talented, very funny Rivka Reyes. If you want to get in touch, email us at dirtygirlpodcast at gmail.com. We also have merch. It is our tea public Dirty Girl merchy merch. I got a coffee mug. I got, I got a mask. It was great. It was so great. Thank you. See you next week. Dirty Girl is produced by me, Heather Ann Gottlieb, along with Cameron Taggy. Tristan Bankston, and Alex Salem. We are distributed by the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. Our logo was designed by Kevin Laughlin.